0: Hey everyone, Keith here. I wanted to share a bit of context before you listen to this episode. In celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, you're about to hear an episode we're re-releasing featuring Hernan Sines, a partner in our Dallas office, a friend of mine, and one of the founders of our Familia at Bain affinity group, formerly named Latinx at Bain, or LATBA. Familia at Bain is an affinity group for Bain professionals with Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Chicano, Chicana, or Latin American heritage or interests. It's one of Bain's eight affinity groups that provides tailored support to its members, including mentorship and programming that create pathways for success at Bain. You'll hear more about the history of familia at Bain and the vision of making our firm the best choice for Latinx talent from Hernan. We hope you enjoy this episode and encourage you to visit our bain.com slash careers website to learn more about Familia and all of the other affinity groups at Bain. We'll link them down in the show notes below. Thanks for listening and take care. Peace.
1: And that's where I think Bain and company is different in, in building general manager's chops, right? When you... When you look at different industries from similar capability angles or a single industry from different capability angles you start building that pattern recognition that the best ceos of the world have right and not surprisingly that's why bain graduates so many entrepreneurs right so many ceos and investors
0: That's Hernan Signs, a partner in our Dallas office, talking about how Bain's approach to helping you build a general management foundation allows you to develop a unique skill set that sets you up for success both inside and outside of the firm. I'm Keith Bevins, a partner and global head of consultant recruiting at Bain & Company, and this is Beyond the Bio. It's a podcast that shares the stories of our extraordinary people from their perspectives. You can read their bios online, but those barely scratch the surface of who they are and the important work they're doing here at Bain. Today, we'll talk with Hernan about his background and previous work in education, coming to Bain and working in several offices around the world, and his contributions to Bain that he's most proud of, including exciting client work and scaling up important initiatives within the firm. Welcome, Hernan. Good to have you here.
1: Thank you, Keith. Uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful to join you.
0: So Hernan, we've actually known each other quite a long time and have worked together on a bunch of different things, both client work and outside of our client work. But I thought it'd be helpful for people to get a little bit of your background as we start. And maybe we'll start with school. You came to the U.S. from Costa Rica to attend Harvard, where you got your B.S. in economics. And you know, what was that experience like? What was it like coming to the U.S. for school? And, and what were you trying to accomplish with, with that degree and that program?
1: It's, uh, <laughs> as you can imagine, it starts with, with shock for a young man from Costa Rica sort of landing at Harvard in Boston, right? There was culture shock and climate shock and probably academic rigor shock. And, and that took a little bit of a while to settle, right? Uh, maybe the better part of, of one year. Uh, and then you find yourself in a very special place, right? I came to the U.S. because I wanted to get a liberal arts education, that's what I really, really wanted. I, I wanted to, to think about the world. I wanted my, my mind to expand, etc. right. If I had gone to school in Costa Rica I would have gotten a very professional degree. That uh, trip for four years around knowledge in the world was was incredible. The diversity of Harvard is incredible, right? And so that was that was incredibly special too, right People from all countries of the world, all, all types of economic backgrounds. Talents that sort of range the the entire span of, of human existence it, it was it was just incredible relative to Costa Rica, where many of us look the same and, and think the same and so it's a time of, of great personal growth. Probably the two biggest things that I remember right is I remember sort of the the notion of the American dream and social mobility, my roommate was a uh, first-generation American. His, his parents were Chinese immigrants, right? He had a full scholarship to Harvard, and, and since then, he's become an incredibly successful attorney. And sort of the, the ability of this country, right, to, to move socially up was incredible. But, and then the power of education, right? I've seen my classmates, there were 1,500 of us in the class, but just do amazing things. And, and so forever, I have decided that education would be a big part of my life.
0: You go to Harvard, you have all of these great experiences. Upward Mobility is right in grasp, and you decide to go back to graduate school again <laughs> and delay that. And you went out to Stanford, I believe. What did you, what did you major in there? I don't think I actually knew that uh, about you prior to, uh, prior to yeah, preparing for this.
1: It was interesting, right? So probably the most fun thing I did at Harvard, other than socializing and classes, I was uh, a teaching fellow. That's what we called it. I was a TA or a TF for the undergraduate classes. And, and I thought to myself, like, this is my calling, right? I, I, I wanna be in the classroom. And, and so I decided to, to start graduate work at Stanford in economics. And the idea was, hey, I'm going to, right? I'm gonna be a professor of economics. And that's what I did. And it's probably, right, uh, at the end of my first year at Stanford, Keith was probably the first kind of nonlinear moment in my career because most people sort of start the graduate work and go all the way to the PhD. And, and, and I sort of finished the master's degree at Stanford and I'm like, well, before I go linear, why don't I, why don't I test the waters, right? So after I finished my, my master's degree at Stanford, I, I headed out to INCAE, which is a business school in, in Latin America. It was fascinating, right? Because I found myself back in the classroom, not so much as a TA or as a TF, but, as a member of the uh, of the formal faculty, I started to understand actually what an MBA was, right, and what these students looked like and and what what they did afterwards, right? It was actually my first taste into consulting. One of my fellow faculty members did a significant amount of consulting work across Latin America, both in the for commercial banks and investment banks, as well as the regulatory authorities, the the superintendents of of those countries. And so I I did a lot of consulting. Now came this big thing, right? Do I go back to Stanford, finish my PhD, and become an academic? Or, wow, my eyes have been opened, right? There's this entire world out there of business, and, and you can also do an MBA, et cetera. And interestingly, uh, where I ended up was like, you know, I know I will end up teaching one day. That is where I'm going to end. But I don't want to be a business school professor that has basically written a bunch of papers in economics. And so I decided uh, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to go do an MBA. And I'm going to go have a successful, hopefully quick career career. Uh, in in uh, in strategy consulting, which is where I think I'm going to accelerate the fastest, and then and then I'll be back in the classroom. That was the big nonlinear move, right? Um, which was to finish the master's degree at Stanford, head out to Incai, spend a couple of years there in the classroom, but also doing consulting, and decide, you know what? What my students do seems to be far more fun than what I am doing.
0: So you came over for school. I'm, I'm first generation. My dad came over for school from Central America as well. And what was the conversation like with your family or your support network back home? Because they, I'm sure they're excited that their son is going to Harvard and then Stanford. And they're like, man, when is he going to get a job? And here we go again with another school. Talk me a little bit about what was the, the reaction you had from your support network or your crew, as we, we refer to it at Bain, as you're, as you're going on this journey? Because for me, it wasn't something that you could necessarily talk about around the dinner table because a lot of people in my family didn't quite understand banking versus consulting versus corporate, et cetera.
1: Yeah, but very good question. Most of the members of my family had had either served as civil servants in Costa Rica, or alternatively, they had been in professions like, like law or medicine. And so when I said that I was going to be a consultant, you can imagine that people looked at me with... Um, question marks in their eyes and a little bit of, are you sure? Right. I mean, there's, there's these linear paths, right? You, you just go back, finish your PhD, become a, become a professor. And so to me, that was the most important moment in me becoming myself is the way I would describe it. Right. That was the, uh, the moment at which, right, there were, the world was telling me what is the linear path. And I decided, what is the path for Ernan? right? And One of the recommendations that I always tell people is, right, yeah, of course, take out as much outside in uh, advice as you can. But number one, be wary of the linear paths because those are average paths and nobody's really average. And then number two, right? Find the moment at which you found your path, right? And that probably started right when I headed back to uh, to Cornell.
0: After Cornell, you joined Bain. Did you join as a summer associate or did you join full time?
1: No, I actually, I, w- I joined full time, right? And so that made me a, a very non-traditional hire at Bain, right? I, I was not a summer associate and I had a couple of years of work experience, but I basically that was in the classroom, right? So in a sense, I had never reported to anyone and nobody had ever reported to me. And so I, I, I walked in, right, with a little bit, a li- a little bit of, uh, of fear of like, what is it going to be like since my classmates are all going to have, uh, at Bain, are going to have so much more experience.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your ramping up and your path through Bain, because you've, you've been to a lot of different offices. I think when we met, most formally, you were the head of my practice area uh, when I joined the performance improvement practice. But why don't we talk a little bit about your journey through Bain? You started in Boston. Did you know right away that you wanted to stay for a long time, that you wanted to specialize in specific industries or capabilities? How did you navigate your journey here?
1: Let's go back to Cornell. I'm at Cornell. I'm finishing the first year of my, of my MBA and I realized, well, I, I want to join a profession where my, my experience curve is going to be incredibly fast. Particularly because I'm coming from a place where I don't have much experience. And so strategy consulting feels feels right. And I get to learn about Bain and, and other consulting firms, etc. And there were a few things at Bain that felt different, right? One of them is everyone at Bain was talking about results as a as a differentiating thing. And honestly, I had not I had no idea on the outside of Bain what to make of it. They, the Bainies, seem to think that that was really important. I felt that there was probably something important, but I couldn't quite internalize it. Ultimately, the decision to join Bain to me was, was a simple one, which is, where did I feel like my fit was easy? And why? Why fit easy? Why would that be important? And I've always been a, a, a person that thinks about energy. It's not about how much time you spend doing things, but how much energy do things take away from you or give you? And what I had found was time with Bain folks was giving me energy. And I was like, wow, if I go to a place like this, right, I'm going to be a superstar, right? I I mean, I'm just like, it's going to give me energy, right? I'm I'm going to take zero of my energy to try to fit into the place, right? In fact, it's going to give me energy, and then I'm going to use that energy to do well, right? And so, you know, I feel incredibly blessed because I found the right fit for me. And that's how I sort of landed at Bain, probably thinking, like like most people who join Bain, right? I, I will do two to three years, right? I, I will become a, a master problem solver and a wonderful diagnoser of organizational dynamics. And then something else will come. Maybe maybe I'll run into teaching or maybe I'll take a line role somewhere and and, and then we'll go from there. It's been over 20 years and I'm here. <laughs>
0: I tell people I'm I'm on my Twelfth two-year stint at Bain, uh, is is how I reconcile those two thoughts. Um, you also moved around the system a lot, so you you've seen Boston. Uh, you know, I went to school in Boston, so my recruiting process arguably was more tied to the Boston office at the time. But you've also bounced around the system. Can you take us through your uh, through your path? I think you visited and, and worked in more offices than most people uh, would yeah. guess.
1: It's been one of the biggest gifts that Bain could 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 have, could have given me. Right. I, so I started in Boston and. Did incredibly interesting work in private equity, right, in in a couple of industries. And towards the end of my first year, our Sydney office had completely oversold versus its capacity. And it was also the winter in Boston. And they asked if anyone was willing to raise their hand. And, of course, the Costa Rican ran away from the snow very quickly. But little did I know, like I land in Sydney, right? I spent almost a year of my life there working in a totally new uh, industry. It was in telco and doing incredibly interesting work uh, in this case, right? Combining or or figuring out how two organizations that had always worked separately, selling equipment into buildings and then selling accounts into buildings would actually work together, right? You'd think that that's easy. Oh my God, right? But I was able to help... uh, and we were able to help a, a, basically a telephone company make sure that wherever they were selling and servicing accounts is where they actually had either equipment or plans to have equipment. And, and it was it was brilliant. But, but also, I mean, you, you move. And so you have to rethink everything. Right. What culture am I working? Right. What is the right style? How do we speak? Right. What type of humor gets used, uh, etc.? And so I said to myself, oh my God, if I can do this again, I'll do it. And came back to Boston, was promoted to manager and the second opportunity shows up to move to Madrid. And that was amazing. I spent a full year in Madrid. One of my clients who I had become very close with asked me if uh, if we could lead some European wide work out of the Madrid office and ended up working across the continent, right? From, from the UK and Ireland, uh, all the way through Western and, and Eastern Europe rethinking all types of things. And, and you, you learn so much, right? How, how do you do business in the UK? How do you do business in France? How do you do business in the Czech Republic, etc.? Came back to Boston, got promoted as to partner, right, which was a, a shock to me. I never thought I'd be a partner at Bain.
0: Well, you, you got there in two years, right? You said you are only staying for two years.
1: <laughs> That's right. A couple of those cycles, let's put it that way. And then, and then came another sort of incredibly nonlinear moment in, in my life, right, which was uh, I was approached by the firm to, to serve as the managing partner, what we call the office head, of the Dallas office and of the southwest region of Bain & Company, which included our Latin American operation, uh, particularly the, uh, you know, the hub in Mexico and all the way down to the, uh, to the bottom of Mesoamerica. And that was incredible, right? Because I, I, I stayed as a client partner, but I also had the responsibility of, of running a very important office for Bain. But by the way, I've been here ever since, right? But, uh, but obviously I was missing I was missing by uh, those dislocations internationally that create so much learning. And so uh, a couple of years ago, my family and I relocated for a few months to Paris And this is part of the practice role that I'm leading to basically sort of push and pull with my fellow European colleagues so that we could continue to grow our practice. So I'll tell you, right, it's been amazing, right? What a gift. Big learning, right? Bain is not a multinational firm. It is a global firm. It's not a collection of uh, national units that have the same name, right? It is truly a firm with one culture, right? I was always amazed, right, that you land in, in Madrid and... You'd start talking in Spanish and have to wear a tie. But but man, we were doing the same work with the same manufacturing process uh, with a very similar culture, right? We were just in a different language and having lunch and dinner much later in the day.
0: That's too funny. My, My experience visiting probably at this point, half of our offices is it takes you like five minutes to sort of feel right at home, no matter where you are in the system the yeah. culture is very similar in terms of how we engage, how we interact with each other. And it's just, it's really reassuring that we are truly a global firm, not sort of a collection of individual franchises around the world. Hernan, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of your contributions to the firm. I've Sort of been up front and center for a lot of the the big things that you've done here, but I, I guess I'd flip it to you and say, you know, what are you most proud of in your Bain career? You you've had a lot of really big roles, a lot of really great accomplishments. Sort of, maybe we could spend a few minutes talking through some of the some of the things that you're most proud of as you look back over twenty plus years here.
1: Well, thank you for that. I mean, it's it's a life of service, right? The, the beauty of Bain is is you serve as a leader others, and and the talent pool is so extraordinary, and the energy so positive that. Yes, together you, you accomplish amazing things, right? As I look back, what are, what are some of the sort of highlights that I can always remember fondly, right? My first client, my first client was an office products supplier. You can imagine how unsexy that sounds. And yet, wow, what a ride, right? I first I worked with that company in 1998 as a consultant. I think I was promoted to manager about two years later on that account and with that client. And I think I was promoted to partner three years later. Of course, I, I'd also done work in other places, right? But this had been a sort of a constant in my life. We did a lot of work in the Americas. That that required me to do a lot of work in Latin America. When I moved to Madrid, most of the time I was there, I, I spent with that client. And imagine doing strategy, M A, go to market, operating model, organization, right? IT, right? It was man, it was like doing an MBA and, and creating enormous value for, for the shareholders that own that company, but also sort of amazing career accelerators for all of those friends of mine that, that became clients and, of course, friends over the years, right? And more recently, right, now as a partner, for the last uh, decade, I've, I, one of my clients is one of the big airline companies of the world. And, and it's, it's also been amazing, right? Imagine 10 years and a path to basically a 10x return on, on their stock price, uh, doing work, and again, strategy, go-to-market, operating model, fleet, organization. So the client part of, of this business is fun, right? And that includes both the company and the results that you create, but also the individuals.
0: What's neat about that, my experience has been, because I've been on a couple of clients where it's been multiple years on the same client, but the diversity of work that you see allows you to just get that much deeper embedded in the industry and, and build that expertise. And I think people oftentimes in school ask me, you know, well, how do I specialize in an industry? And I'm like, well, the industry is only part of the equation. <laughs> the work that you're doing is also an important part of the equation. And and for me, I've had the experience of doing both. I've done the same type of work multiple times across multiple industries, but I've spent 18 months at a client, two years at a client, and really got to know the executive team at a, in a completely different way. And I don't think everybody has a, a good enough appreciation for how that changes sort of your day-to-day and your career trajectory. That's
1: where I think Bain & Company is different in building general manager chops. When you look at different industries from similar capability angles or a single industry from different capability angles, you start building that pattern recognition that the best CEOs of the world have, right? And not surprisingly, that's why Bain graduates so many entrepreneurs, right? So many CEOs and investors. You know, I also look at... My time as, a, as an office head or managing partner of the Dallas office, that was very special, right? Um, Dallas was one of these amazing sort of units at Bain, but it was still kind of a spoke versus a hub when I became the office head. It, it had been associated with some of the most famous result stories at Bain, some of which had actually been even written in books. And my sense was, you know what? This should be a hub. This should be a hub. In Texas, everyone should think of Bain & Company as the consulting firm. I don't care if you're a client in any given industry or even in the not-for-profit space. And the journey there was amazing, right? And and, and, and the team was was amazing in basically helping expand our Texas footprint first by opening a, an office in Houston. That's now expanded all the way to Austin second by, by sort of going very deep into all of those industries that are relevant in the Texas economy, right? That includes, of course, retail and CP and big financial services, obviously oil and gas, right? But it's everything. And uh, we've created a big private equity business down here and basically ran the same play in Latin America, where we ended up becoming, for the private sector at least, right? The, the most important strategy consulting firm. So, that was an amazing ride. I'm also very proud of having founded Latpa about 15 years ago. Latpa is Latinos at Bain. For me, it's it's an affiliation group, right? That in some ways have, had always existed, right? As, as a Latino. I had always tried to hire more Latinos. I had always kept in touch with them and mentored them and made sure that they mentored the next generation, et cetera. We formalized it, right? We formalized it. We made sure that that LAPA became an important organ of Bain & Company, that in our recruiting, we were really tapping into the best sources of Latino talent, that when that Latino talent joined Bain, right, that it would onboard and progress in its career in, in very smooth ways, Eventually, right, it it became so large, right, that a lot of we can even move outside of that core mission and and celebrate our culture as part of Bain and and invite others and and start serving the community.
0: And it makes the firm feel. Smaller in some ways. I, I think what I found is that I'm a member of multiple overlapping communities. You know, I'm in the Chicago office. I'm in Blacks at Bain. You know, I'm part of the recruiting team, and and you end up having all of these different communities inside one firm that just makes you feel more at home. And I know Lapa has been that for a lot of people at Bain, uh, and it's really neat to see that journey and see the organization evolve. Hernan, I, I want to talk uh, quickly about two other leadership experiences that you had. I mentioned earlier in our conversation that when I joined the performance improvement practice, you were leading that practice. You've continued to stay involved as a leader in that practice. Do you want to talk a little bit about how the PI practice has grown and what it's become? Because it it actually is now sort of an umbrella practice that covers a lot of really neat expertise and capabilities for the firm.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I, when I finished my, my stint, my, my servant leadership role as a, as a managing partner of the, of the Bain Southwest and Latin America region, right, the question was, what's next, right? And the wonderful thing about Bain is there, there's always something that's next, and, and there's somewhere where you're going to be pushed, again, to learn in, in ways that you never expected. And my recognition was, right, that horizontal capabilities have started to change dramatically, and that uh, Bain had to advance quickly to remain competitive and gain competitive advantage at a horizontal level, what do I mean by that? Digitization is changing the way we do everything right from sales to manufacturing to distribution right Sustainability is changing everything from how we do branding and uh, product market fit again supply chains, manufacturing distribution, warehousing, uh, resi- resilience concerns, and we've seen those during COVID, are changing the horizontal axis. And so I was asked and had the, the privilege to, and honor to accept uh, serving as our global leader of what we call performance improvement, which is the the largest largest capability at Bain and and it's been amazing, right? Because we had a what I would call a results engine, right? I mean, we were anytime we did performance improvement work, we just we just really delivered results in in, in very tangible ways. It's been wonderful, right, to sort of reinvent those in a, in an era of digitization and resilience and sustainability. And so we do all types of things. We run the the procurement practice of Bain, which is incredibly strategic, right? I mean. People think of, well, procurement, that that's very tactical. Imagine the role that procurement plays in sustainability, right? If your suppliers are not sustainable, right, your product is not sustainable. Imagine the role that it plays in resilience, right? If you don't have the right nodes of supply, right, your supply chain breaks. You can't get to your customers your product. So procurement, uh, supply chain, manufacturing, automation, cost transformations, right, anything associated with service operations, that's that's the PI practice. And, it, and it's just been wonderful to be part of this and, and to be part of what I call the new bane, right? The, the bane of the digital era, the bane of the sustainability and, and uh, stakeholder capitalism era and making sure that our products, right, are as good in delivering results as they were when I started at Bain, but now better because we have a more understanding, two more decades of experience and tools that we never had before.
0: That's awesome, and we're working together on the DEI council now. I'm on there because of my operating role, leading global recruiting. You're on there as a member of Bain's board. How did you make the decision, or or how were you asked to join Bain's board, and what's the journey been like there?
1: Well, you can imagine. Again, it's it's an honor and, and a privilege, and and fascinating, right? So, you know, I play three roles on the board. I'm I'm a, I'm a member of the strategy M and A and and DEI committees. And each one of them is incredibly special, right? On the strategy front, right? This is a time of enormous turbulence in the world. And we're very optimistic, right? We're very optimistic. The nature of firms is changing. They outsource more these days and they always will. They'll operate as ecosystems. And as part of that, our demand as a sector, as an industry goes up. And then for our segment of the industry strategy, right? The amount of turbulence, of change, of new ways of thinking of value creation that creates demand, not just for our sector, but our segment. And then Bain is a firm that has continued to gain share where it plays, right? And so, and so reinforcing those things that have made us so special, right? The loyalty and relationships that we have with clients because we deliver results in a very consistent way and, and the loyalty and, and extraordinary energy of the Bain teams, right? That, that is unseen in our sector, in our segment, in our industry, really in the world in terms of how, how Bainies feel about, about their mission. That's the strategy side, Keith. I also participate a lot in M&A. That's been a very interesting, right? Because Bain is active both on the scale side of that and the scope side of that. Uh, If you look at some of the acquisitions we've made in Europe, right, they've they've made dramatic improvements in our scale position, right? Some of the ones that 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 we've done from a scope perspective have added incredibly important capabilities, right, in in advanced analytics, in advanced design, in digital marketing, in sustainability and traceability, etc.,
0: Quick plug for those of you listening. We actually spoke with Dan Kuzmic, who's the managing partner for Bain Nordics, where we made one of the big scale acquisitions. And recently we spoke with Steph Chavin on the podcast, and she was involved in some of the diligence for what I would say, Hernandez is the scope acquisition uh, of Forward uh, doing digital marketing. Uh, So for those of you interested in hearing a little more about those, Hernan was involved from the board perspective, but you also have some deeper insight into people who are on the ground working with some of those teams. Uh, It's been a pretty exciting time to watch that happen for us.
1: Yeah, and culture can be an excuse or it can be the biggest asset in the world when you do M&A, right? In our case, it's an asset. People want to join Bain & Company because the culture is one that sort of gives energy to people versus, versus take it away. And it's a place where, right, it's easier to make the whole bigger than the sum of the parts. And so that, that has really accelerated our ability to get people interested in joining the company and, and then integrate them in a way that relatively quickly, right, the family gains a lot from the acquisition. And, and whoever joined us became better because they became a Bainy. And the last one is DEI. You can imagine it's near and dear to my heart, right? Because A, I am a Latino. B, I didn't tell you this when I was an economist. I was a labor economist who devoted his life to gender studies and making sure that that I could do things that would change the path of, of women in the labor market, both from a participation perspective and a path and compensation perspective. So DEI has the advantage of being both morally right and good business. And so it's good in every way. In the consulting world, right, I have seen, I believe, and I think all of us at Bain believe that in our consulting business, if we are the best at DI, we'll have access to the best talent in the world. And clients will come to us because they see people that looks, look like them and because they know that that type of team structure and team composition will deliver the best results. And given our culture, given the history of of D-E-N-I at Bain, I feel like we we can position ourselves differently. That's the internal side, right? Where, as I like to say, we should always go from good to great. We can never claim great. We always, always should claim good and go to the next step, right? We recruit more diverse talent, develop more diverse talent, promote more diverse talent. And like you... Uh, running recruiting for Bain or me serving on the board and running PI, right? Have that talent that is diverse on the leadership team. I'm also very excited about how Bain has, uh, has grabbed the I part of DEI inclusion, right? That is the forgotten one, right? That is the forgotten one that people need to feel included And so I think Bain Bain is doing amazing stuff, including a weekly review of every member of every case team on how they feel about inclusion. And then there's the external part, Keith, that is also very, very important, which is, right, like our clients know that we are very good at DEI and they now expect us to provide that service for them. What does that mean? That means that in every one of our products, solutions, services to the market. DEI has to be part of it. I should not be doing a procurement case that does not have a DEI lens on it uh, in terms of uh, what that supplier base looks like. And, and we're even starting right to get our clients to ask for standalone DEI support. How do I transform a business that hasn't focused on this, hasn't delivered the outcomes it wanted? And and I can't think of anyone better to help with this than, than a Bain and company. So you can imagine that the board seat has been yet another blessing in, in my Bain career.
0: Awesome. And it's been a fun journey to watch and be a part of at different points in my career as well. Hernan, as we wrap up, for those people listening, maybe on the front end of their career, would you have any advice for them in terms of how to think about the journey? Because it seems like you've had a, a non-linear ride as you put it earlier but what what would you tell people listening who are on the front end of this and and expecting a perfectly linear smooth path
1: <laughs> great question right so number one as you said do not expect a linear path and get comfortable around the non-linearities they will be the great learning moments number two yes take all the outside in data and advice you can but always check it against the inside out. What is giving you energy? For the rest of your life, right? Energy is the most precious resource you will ever manage. And then understand the, impo- the importance of decades and cumulative motions, right? You don't have to get to your goal by age 22. You don't have to get to your goal by age 28. If you do, you're going to have a pretty boring five decades later. Because you already got to your goal. And so instead, right, make moves that give you learning and energy and interest and accumulate them into a career of successive goals that give you a, better, a bigger goal.
0: Awesome. Hernan, thanks for the time today and, and such an awesome conversation. As I, I mentioned multiple times, we've worked a lot together at, and it's always great to do these with a friend, with a mentor, with somebody that I look up to and a lot of people at Bain look up to. So uh, give my regards to Sylvia and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: Thank you, my good friend. It is truly a pleasure.
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Beyond the Bio. If you'd like to share a review or give us input on what you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd really like to hear from you. Please email our inbox at beyondthebio at bain.com. We'll see you soon with some new episodes, and thanks for listening.